Thanks for joining us today for the High Point Church Podcast. We are very excited that God is using messages from our church to touch lives in and around the world. Welcome to the High Point Church Podcast. Pastor Fola's wife, Simi, to come on up here, and we are going to have a conversation with a famous author. Put your hands together. Welcome, Simi, to the stage here. All right. So you may know some things about about, uh, Pastor Fola and Simi. You know they're from Nigeria. Um, you know that she has several children, <laughs> several. several children, um, what you don't possibly know, or maybe not until recently is that she is an acclaimed author. Isn't that right? An author. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's humble. She is well known in Nigeria. She's also written and been awarded for, uh, some of her writing. And so, we are honored to have you here with us Thank today. Thank you, Pastor. Thank, Thank you. you, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, give her a round of applause. She deserves it. Thank you. All right. We wanted to highlight um, just who she is and what she's what she's done in her, her writing. Um, she's written um, many books. How many books have you authored at this point? Um, 40. 40. 40, yeah. Self-published, but I have two others published on my blog, so... 42. Awesome. So yeah. if you want a freebie, go to her blog, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of what you write, you write some nonfiction, so. Yeah, I write um, mostly fiction. Mm-hmm. I write what is fiction with nonfiction. I don't know what to call that, but okay. <laughs> I write um, like issues, about issues of life and things like that. I have series called Wisdom Series and, you know. I saw that. One of those books is in the back, right? Yeah. And it's um, about marriage. I have two. One for singles, Wisdom for Singles. Okay. And then there's one for Staying Married. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you are married, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So married for 19 So it's years. working. So, yeah. you know, I'm just saying, you know, can't argue with success, right? Uh, 19 years. 19 years. Yeah, still younger than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not nice. I'm, oh, I'm, she means less years. She, I don't, I don't. She, young, I thought younger she, in I years. I thought you were calling me old. That's not nice. You're a big brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so Simi, tell me a little bit about your training because I know you came to the States and you also did um, some online training, but who did yeah. you train with? Um, I trained with uh, Jerry B. Jenkins. At the time he had uh, something called Christian Writers Guild, but now he shut that down and started something he calls Jerry's Guild. So there's still a guild on. Um, it was a four year online training, but then I came for conference okay. and a retreat. We had this intense retreat, three days retreat with him in Colorado. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So in, in Nigeria, she's quite well known. She writes a lot of books that are sold um, on several different platforms. And uh, many of them, I mean, we've got several books in the back, but what, we've, uh, what they've put together for us is kind of a listing of uh, maybe the most Some of popular the books, writings. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. just like capturing the essence of most of the books. I mean, there are 40, so I didn't want to crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be a, yeah. a long but, document. Yeah, when you read it, you see, you know, different things, just like an overview. Yeah, so some of the things you write are, you know, might be based uh, in Nigeria. So how would that relate to someone who's in our culture? Is that strange? Um, well, what I do is, even in Nigeria, we have so many diverse cultures, you know, we have more than 200 languages and so we have different cultures. So what I do is I write in a way that if you, you're not familiar with that culture from the dialogue, from the narrative, 
you can actually have an idea of what's going on and what the people believe in. Mm. So it's, um, it's like you're watching a movie, but then you're learning a lot uh, while you're watching or you're, you're reading, you know, so. Awesome, awesome. So Jody. For, yeah, yeah for, for Americans, it's, it will just be like uh, a tour yeah. of Nigeria <laughs> when you read any of the books, yeah. That's cool. So you get to learn a little bit about the culture. And at first I thought, well, I'm, yeah, I don't know if that'll work. But my <laughs> wife reads like books about the Amish. And, you know, when they were driving to Lancaster and she's spouting off, yo, this is blah, blah, blah. That's what they're doing there. I'm like, how do you know this? Are you <laughs> Amish and you never told me? You know, uh, she is not, for the record, she is not Amish. It turns out uh, she did not, you know, mislead me in that way. And, <laughs> But no, she. But but you know the same way you would learn yeah, about a culture. Yeah, the same way you yeah, yeah. read about culture, you um, get a grasp of what the mindset of the character is. Um, is like you're living the life of the character, so you're thinking in that line, so you understand what this person is going through. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So okay, so you've written over forty books. You've uh, also written some screenplays. Yeah. Had them made into movies. Yeah. Um, so tell me this, out of all of those things, which one is your favorite? <laughs> you know, each time you ask this question, it's like you're asking me, who's my favorite kid? And which one is your favorite kid? That's <laughs> only fair. You don't, you don't want me to go back home if I... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in a lot of trouble. Um, really... You no, know, do what I do. I tell them all they're my favorite. They're all favorite. They all yes. think they are. They have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> the, the books are just um, unique. Um, maybe I can talk a little bit more about some of the other ones I've written and then I uh, hone in on one that really stood out for me. Um, I have this series called uh, True Dream Series. It's just clean, classic romance. It's just someone's journey to getting married. And um, I started writing the True Dream series about three years ago, and I have more than 10 titles. They're just, wow. they're small books. You can finish them in like 90 minutes. But when I started, I, I wanted them to, I thought they were gonna be short stories, maybe like 3,000 words. But then the very first one I wrote, I, I just kept writing. I was just writing, and I'm like, all these words are in my head. I mean, where are they coming from? You know, so the True Dream series is just, if you like clean romance, you'll like it. And then um, I had this other Issues of Life series. I was hosting this talk show back home, and I discovered that we have a lot of issues, contemporary issues, that uh, people don't like to talk about in church. You know, like um, we want to talk about greed, we want to talk about integrity, we want to talk about people, Christians cheating others in church and some really uh, sore topics. And so when I started the talk show, I realized that it wasn't enough to just have the talk show in church because all these issues come up. So I started writing those books, so I have that. But if I want to talk about a favorite, it's not my favorite, but I'll say is the book that surprised me the most. Um, and that's the book titled The Days After That Night. The book also won me an award this year <laughs> as a faith-based writer of the year for Nigerian Writers Award. Um, thank you. I started, I wrote that book, um, in 60 days, 90,000 words. I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't, I mean, it was like the characters were just in my head. They were, they, they gave me sleepless nights. They just wanted to come out, you know? And it's a book that talks really about a controversy in Nigeria, and that's uh, polygamy. I know in America, polygamy is illegal, in Nigeria, it is illegal, but culturally accepted, traditionally accepted. So you find out that a man can get
get married to more than one wife, and um, it's fine. Nobody's going to hold it against, against him as long as he doesn't go to court yeah. to marry a second wife. So which wife are you to pass the phone? <laughs> so far, I think <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> well... But you see, it's not accepted in the church. I'm just it's joking. not accepted in yeah. the church. But then you have people yeah. who like have like five wives or four wives. They give their lives to Christ, and they come to church, and it's like, what do you do with the extra wives? Do you, do you, do you get rid of them or what? Or what happens to a woman who is like the third wife, and she gives her life to Christ? Does she leave the marriage? Can she remarry, you know? And so that book was really talking about, I mean, I brought the polygamy to church. And this man is a deacon. He's like perfect. But then he is now faced with the choice of uh, getting a second wife. And it's, it's a real... Um, it's real dramatic. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of conflict uh, in the book. And I was writing that. I, I didn't even write this book in my culture. So I had to do a lot of research. I had to look for people on Facebook who could speak the language, who could help me out with the research. And I just loved working on it. it. It took a lot of time. It took me, I mean, after the 60 days, I was editing over and over and over again, trying to make sure I didn't murder anybody's culture because it wasn't mine. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to speak a language, put, speak in a way they don't speak, you know. And the book came out and won me an award, and I was really excited about that. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're really privileged to have you as uh, part of our church, and Thank that's a, you, super exciting to you, you know, hear about the award, so congratulations. Thank um, you. Listen, we, we just wanted to let you know that, that Simi was here, and you might be interested in some of her books. You can um, take a look at some of the physical copies in the back, um, but there are... Many of them are on Amazon uh, for the Kindle. So if you read uh, digital ebooks, that type of thing, uh, also on iTunes and um, some other companies that I don't understand. But Kindle, Kindle is where you can read yeah. most of her books. So how about we pray for Simi today? Does that sound thank good? Thank you. Yeah. Would you stretch your hand towards her? We just want to ask God's blessing. God, we thank you for all the ways that you've used her. God, we thank you for bringing. Pastor Fola and, and Simi to us and for their uh, wonderful influence on our church. And God, we thank you for their family. And God, we just speak blessing over her. Lord, we just pray that you would give her fresh ideas and, and new things to write about. That God, you would use, um, use her giftings for your glory. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, continue to uh, allow the ideas to flow freely. And I pray, God, that you would um, bless them in every way. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to this family. And God, we just pray for them now and just uh, seek for your hand upon their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.
right, well, we're excited to launch into our brand new Christmas series, and uh, we're calling it Joy to the World. We're going to be focusing in on some of the Christmas carols and songs that we sing every year and, and looking at where they come from and is there a lesson we can pull out of each one. So uh, this week we're going to be focusing on the song that we actually uh, saw during the uh, offering time, um, Oh Holy Night. I don't know if anybody likes that song. I love that song. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I remember being a kid and singing it in church and then probably... Uh, we were watching a TV show, and there was uh, Robert Guillaume, who was, who was an actor on the TV show Benson, a long time ago, sang that song. And I think that was probably the first time that I really went, wow, this song is incredible, and I can't believe it's on TV. But um, So that was, that was years and years ago. I'm telling you how old I am. Some of you are like, I never even heard of that show, but old timer, you know. But uh, anyway, the song itself, let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, it was written uh, at a request of a Catholic parish priest in the mid-1800s. Um, he was interested in a song that would, or uh, a song that would reflect Luke chapter two. And so he went to this French uh, poet, he was a, a French merchant and a poet who, um, who was just an excellent writer. His name was Placide Capot, and uh, there's a picture of him on the screen, and he was not a believer in Christ at all. As a matter of fact, he was, um, he was a little bit of a hellraiser, actually. He was not a Christian by any stretch. He doesn't look that, he doesn't look that uh, violent there to me. He doesn't look to be any kind of trouble to me, but um, he was not at all a man of God. And then the priest took his words... And he went and found someone else who would write the lyrics to the word, or I'm sorry, write the tune to the word and put the melody to this poem. And it turned out that this man was not a believer in Jesus either, but he wrote this beautiful song that we now sing, O Holy Night. And, uh, you know, the Catholic Church fell in love with it. They loved it. They sang at so many of their events and at their services. It became so incredibly popular, but something happened and the word got out and people found out that the source of this, uh, of this great song was not from any kind of holy people at all, and they tried to squash it, but it didn't work, did it? We're still singing it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, 50 years later in 1906, uh, a man by the name of Reginald Fenson, or Fessenden, uh, he's a 33-year-old Canadian professor. He did the impossible, where he created uh, radio waves. Uh, up until that time, it had been impossible to communicate over long spans of, um, of territory. And so he created uh, the AM radio. And once he created it, the very first thing that was ever broadcast, it was Christmas Eve of that year, 1906, and he... Um, decided what would be the very first words to be broadcast. And the very first thing that was broadcast was this. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In, the days Caesar, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And he continued to read all of Luke chapter 2, telling the story of the birth of Christ. And then as soon as he was done reading the scriptures... He picked up his violin and he played the song, Oh Holy Night. I mean, think about that. For the first time, the silence had been broken and the word of God was the first thing to be broadcast into the airwaves. And then a song with such amazing words and such an incredible melody, speaking also of the birth of Christ, was the first music to be broadcast into the airwaves. And uh, I just think that's, that's pretty incredible. And so many times we sing those words and we don't think about the origin. We don't think too much about them. Um, but can we listen and can we key in on some of those words? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. This man who was not a believer found meaning 
in the birth of Jesus. That until that time, um, the skies lay barren. Until that time, the silence was broken by the birth of Jesus. He says, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That into the silence breaks the voice of a child and there's a new day to be born. And so today we're going to take a look at that. But can we, can we think about what it was like really on that first Christmas night? We hear that song and we hear the peacefulness of the melody and we hear the words beautifully put together by that French poet. And we think to ourselves, what a perfect picture, what, a, what an amazing picture, perfect birth this must have been. And we imagine scenes like you see on the screen of Mary and Joseph doting over their baby in this quaint little barn with animals around and as the song Silent Night says the cattle were lowing. What is lowing anyway? We don't know. I know what mooing is and it goes moo. Have you ever been near a cow when he's mooing? It is not peaceful even a little bit. Have you ever been with some barnyard animals and thought to yourself, this would be a good place to have a baby. Have you ever sat in the mud next to the goats and thought, if only someone could break forth with child? No, you haven't. All you're thinking about is the animals and what they're doing. And this is not a good place to be. And when can I wash my hands? That's what I'd be thinking. I don't know about you. But the birth of Jesus being born in a stable and baby Jesus being put into a manger, a feeding trough. This was not a perfect, perfect birth. As a matter of fact, it was probably a little bit strange. In reality, let's think about it. Mary was a teenage girl and she and her fiance, um, she and her fiance had traveled about 80 to 120 miles on a donkey. And that's why this barnyard, this stable, really realistically, it was probably more like a, a cave that animals found shelter in during a storm, more than it was a, a built building. But this cave, this, this, this residence for animals to get out of the storm was now where she was going to have her baby. I remember very much what it was like when JoLynn was born. It was very much like that. We... Um, Jody started, we went to the doctor and we had a suitcase in the car. We were ready, but we went back to the house after the doctor said, it's time to have the baby. We went back to the house uh, in our 1993 Nissan Sentra, which sounds like an old car now, but then it was just two years old. It was a very nice car. It was not a luxury car, so it did not ride smooth, but I can tell you it rides a lot better than a donkey. And we went not 80 to 120 miles, we went probably three, over to Chestnut Hill Hospital, and we walked in, they got the little wheelchair for Jody, didn't they? And they took her in and took her back to the room where she was going to have this baby and the, move the cows out of the way and the goats and... Uh, Actually, I don't remember seeing them. I don't think they were there. But anyway, we moved into this uh, stable of a hospital uh, that was actually pristine and beautiful, and it was a birthing room, and it was a nice room to be in, and it was sterile, and there was nothing to worry about. All I had to worry about was getting ice chips and saying, don't forget to breathe. That's it. And Jody, on the other hand, got to do all the work. And here's, here's the thing. You know, I think Mary's deal was probably exactly the same as Jody's. You know, let's move into the, let's move into the stable. Oh, not a stable. Okay, we'll move into the cave and let's get you all set, Mary. It's going to be great. Things are going to be fine. And I can tell you that it probably was not fine. I remember that at the beginning, Jody had to walk around a lot because the baby was close to being ready. Jillian was almost ready to come, but not quite. So we had to walk around a lot and we walked in circles for hours, didn't we? It ended up being the next morning that... Jody would give birth, and Jody had decided not to, not to have any medication. She had decided to go without the epidural, and I said, Jody, you're crazy. Take the drugs. Like, 
you can have drugs, take drugs, you know? Um, and as the contractions came, um, they got even crazier, right? They got harder and stronger and it, it hurt her more and she would start to, you know, cry out in pain. And well, here, let me show you the pictures of the video. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be awful, right? <laughs> You're all like, he's doing what? <laughs> I like living inside. Don't worry, I'm not doing that. All right. Um, <laughs> but picture, Jody gets to the point where she finally is like, okay, this is hurting. Let's have the shot. And the doctor goes, nope, too late. It's time to have this baby. And we, uh, we're, she's going to push through. And, and I'm telling you, the pain was intense. All of a sudden, Jody's letting out a scream. The, the, head of, the head starts to spin. Not the baby. Jody's started to spin. And she's, you know, I'm, she's squeezing my hand off, you know. Um, but it was intense. There was no calm, serene night. I can't imagine that Mary, even being the mother of Jesus, right, the Savior of the world, I can't imagine that birth was this calm, serene state. Um, listen, birth is chaos. It's crazy. It's, you know, it's incredible. It's awesome. But it is chaos. And so the idea that everything was perfect for Jesus' birth is just not real. Poor Mary, 14 years old, living in this cave, or hanging out in this cave, the worst environment possible to have a baby. I've never heard a worse story, uh, although maybe there are some. But there is nothing that could be much worse than that. Um, and, uh, you know, it was completely, completely chaos. And, uh, you know, it's into this situation that we hear this line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I ask you to think about this, that maybe you're not in, you know, thankfully, we're not in a birthing room this morning. So the chaos in our lives is a whole lot different than it was for Mary and that it was for Joseph. But chaos might be your middle name. It might be what you deal with all the time, right? One word, chaos, captures what we're going through. Maybe for you, you're tired of the chaos. So you read this story where it talks about this weary world. You say, I got a weary world, right? I've got Things in my life, things that I'm experiencing, hardships that I'm going through, and I'm just tired. And I can tell you that, um, that weariness is something that we all go through. Our world is weary, right? On TV, we, we, we've seen even this past week as the president has declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel that riots are breaking out. That there's a, there's a weariness to the battle in the Middle East, and people are tired of the fighting. In our own country, it's, it's racism. It's, it's uh, now, you know, all week long we've been talking about some of these um, moguls in the entertainment industry and, and people who are trusted sources of news information who have been caught, uh, even people in Congress and, and in the Senate, people who have been caught in their sins and people have stood up and said that they've done something that nobody should ever do in treating another person the way that they've treated people. There's weariness to our world. And I think that into our weary world, God wants to speak. And here's what it says in that song, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. That tomorrow there is something that is on the horizon. And so I want to take a quick look just for a few more minutes about this. And a new and glorious morning. You know, this is, this is speaking about a period of time in the life of the Israelites, in the life of the Jewish people, where they had been through uh, a weary time. There had been... Uh, many, many years, uh, we're going to look at a scripture that talks about um, when the fall of Jerusalem had come in 586 B.C., um, people were distraught. They were at wit's end, and they, they, they couldn't imagine how life could get much worse. They were in captivity, and Jeremiah writes in the book of Lamentations, he writes about his lament. He writes about his sadness. The prophet writes in Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Lamentation 3.20, he says, I remember them, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast 
within me. He just comes out and says, I'm just down. I'm out. I'm feeling like no hope here, guys. And he says, I remember them and my soul is downcast. And then he says in verse, uh, verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He remembers that there is a God. He remembers that his God is able to help him. He remembers that even in the darkest of nights that there is hope. And then in verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Think about that. When do we really think like that? When we're going through a hard time, we rarely go, you know what? But God's going to be good tomorrow. Today stinks, but tomorrow's going to be okay. No, you know what we usually say is, you know what? Today stinks. I bet tomorrow, who God only knows what's coming tomorrow. Isn't that the way that we think? And so he continues and he says, instead of that, he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord. New every morning. His mercies are new every day. God gives us a new day. And that new day carries hope and it carries promise. And so many times we get bogged down in the business that's going on all around us, in the life that is in front of us, in the hardship that is there. And instead of saying, God, I believe that tomorrow is going to be better, we say, God, what's going to happen now? It's only going to get worse from here. And, you know, we need to realize that a new day with Christ, a new day with God, a new day with his help, a new day with Christ brings exactly what we need, that God promises to be there with this. I love how Jeremiah responds in verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Listen, when we in this world think that there are so many things that we need, right? We think about Christmas Day. What are we, what are we planning on, right? All this month, we're looking for things to buy for our children, for our aunts, our uncles, our brothers, our sisters. We're, we're, we're looking for the, the perfect gift. And there's all this buildup to December 25th, or maybe you open your gifts on Christmas Eve, I don't know. But there's all this buildup and all this hype, and you wrap the gift, and you've got the perfect gift. But how many of us on, on, on that afternoon of Christmas Day will sit there and go, is that it? Is that all there is? You sure that's all you've got me? Like, that's really what we're thinking, isn't it? Think, look back under the tree. There's got to be one more thing. But whether it's the dissatisfaction of the joy on someone else's face or it's the dissatisfaction of what we didn't get, we're so focused on the giving and the getting, we forget that what we already have is him. And when your confidence and when your hope is in it, anything else, it'll always disappoint only Jesus never disappoints. So what does he say? The Lord is my portion. He's all I got. He's all I need. And because I put my hope in him, I will wait for him. He will hook me up. You know, the, or I'm sorry, the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert, what did God give them to eat? God gave them manna. Do you remember that story? God gave them manna, and manna was good for one day. God told them, don't collect more than you need for one day, except for when you're getting ready for the Sabbath, where you're not supposed to work. And so you're going you're gonna to collect for, for multiple days there. But for the rest of the week, just collect enough for today. And they did. And those that collected more, it got moldy, it got flies, it got maggots, it was nasty. And so they learned the lesson that every day God would provide exactly what they needed. Instead, we're so much more concerned with what we want. We want more, and we totally miss it. Listen, when you go for more, you'll get the maggots. That's nasty, right? But when you go for God, you'll get just what you need. Isn't that what we really need? Isn't that really what we want? Well, that was just like, that was kind of fun, actually. Everybody's like, ah, that was good. All right. <laughs> 
All right, so a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. Secondly, it brings the hope to keep going. It says the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Lamentations 3, verse 25, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. Um, it's been said that you can live 40 days without food. I don't believe it, but that's what they say. Um, eight days without water, four days without all the oxygen in the world, but you can only live a few seconds without hope. And isn't it true that hope is really what we need? Isn't it true that even when the darkest times come upon us, um, it's not really another thing that we want? It's not really another thing. I mean, we may want that, but it's not really what satisfies us. You know, we go through this life thinking that there's so many things that we can put our attention to, that we can find in our life to fill the vacuum and fill the void. And what we find out is that there is never enough to satisfy that. And we'll, we'll, we'll even go to the point where if our life isn't good enough, we'll find a distraction. We'll find drugs. We'll find alcohol. We'll find another relationship. And we'll pour ourselves into that only to find out that not only is the result of that just more than disappointing, it's destructive, but we'll find out that it, it isn't even satisfying. But instead, what is satisfying is when we put our hope in the Lord. When we put our hope in Him, we find out that we have all that we need. We find out that God gives us the hope to keep going. God gives us exactly what we need. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hope unswervingly, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he is who, or, I'm sorry, let me start again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Our God is faithful. And you know, what we really need in this life is that hope. And I wonder how many times when we've gotten to the point where we feel like just giving up, that life is too difficult, that life is too hard, that we may just quit too soon. I think when we give up hope, that's when we see that people turn to distractions, these things that take us away from God's plan for our life. Not only that, but these destructive things in our life. When we give up the hope that God's given us to go after something that will distract us from the pain, all we find is disappointment and eventually death. I think, I think for people that have found themselves at the end of their rope and they've just given up, Man, I, I, you know, people, we've all probably been in a situation where we've known a friend, a family member, a neighbor, maybe someone you went to school with, but somebody in our life has probably taken their own life. And you know what? They didn't give up because they didn't have enough. What happened is they probably just ran out of hope. And I wonder if... What we need to be doing is we need to be people who bring that hope to them. Matter of fact, I don't wonder it. I know it. I know that Jesus came to bring that hope. He was the sound of hope into that generation. Um, listen, the hope to keep us going, the help that keeps us seeking. A new day with Jesus brings us the help that we are seeking. Lamentations 3 verse 26. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And for some of us, we're waiting literally for salvation. We're waiting for God to save us of our sins. For others of us, we're waiting for salvation in some other kind of form. It might be sickness. It might be healing of some kind. It might be a relationship. But we're waiting. And listen, the scripture tells us it's good to wait quietly, to trust in the salvation of the Lord, that, that God is the giver, of course, of good things. We know that from the scriptures. What about those that, that maybe we thought it was too late? I look at the scriptures and I find stories of people who it looked like it was too late. It looked like it was all over. And what if they had quit trusting in God? Look at Lazarus, for example. Lazarus was dead for four days, right? He was dead for four days. In John chapter 11, it tells us that he was dead so long that they even believed that his spirit had left his body. That was just a, a belief of the Jewish people. So they felt like it was already too late. And Jesus shows up four days after his best friend dies. And the family comes out and they're like, Jesus, where were you? Where you been? Come on, you could have done something here. 
And Jesus shows up on the fourth day after the tradition told him that the, the body was definitely, matter of fact, it was so, it was starting to decay. They even said in the King James, it says he stinketh, right? That's further than stink. You stink, man. No, you stinketh. Like that's a whole other level. So Jesus shows up and, and, and Lazarus stinketh. And, uh, you know, they, one of them, one of the sisters comes and says, you know what? But Jesus, you know, if you really want to, you could still do something. And I'm telling you, if they just given up, but Lazarus, what happened in Lazarus? Jesus called him forth, said, Lazarus, come forth from being dead. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. But what would Lazarus say to you and me today? Listen, when Jesus is in this situation, you don't give up because there is no end of the rope when Jesus is there. When Jesus is there, Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings possibility. Jesus brings future. Jesus brings everything that you need. And you know what? Too many times we forget that Jesus is there. And we go all about the circumstances and the situation. But I'm telling you, Lazarus would come to you and be like, look, if Jesus is involved, the, you know, don't give up yet. And Lazarus lived again. What about the story of, of, of uh, the woman who had the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8? She'd been bleeding not for a day, not for a month, not for six months. Man, this girl was bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Picture that. She's bleeding. And, you know, the weakness. Anytime you've bled, you know you get weak, right? But for 12 years, this woman is bleeding, and uh, she doesn't know how to fix it. And she comes to see, she hears this God man, this Jesus, is coming, and he's healed people. And what goes through her mind is, is I got to get to Jesus, right? And she sees this crowd, and I'm sure she thought to herself for a minute, at least, that, you know, there's no way I can get through this crowd. But you know what? She remembered something, that with Jesus... All things are possible. And what did she do? She pressed through and she got all the way through. And I can imagine even as she got to the last level of people in front of Jesus, can you picture her just reaching and pressing through and trying to get through, using all of her might to get through? <coughs> Excuse me. She reaches for Jesus. And what happens? She swings and misses. And all she grabs is the bottom of his jacket or the bottom of his his dressing, right? He was wearing a, a long garment. It says that, that, that she reached out and she had faith that said, if I can just touch the bottom of his clothes. And she reached out and she swung and Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And what a crazy question for Jesus to ask because there were people pressing in all around, him, all around him. His disciples even asked him, Jesus, everybody's touching you right now. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody is touching you. And what happened? She reached out. She touched just the hem of his garment. And she was healed. And Jesus asked the question, who touched me? Because I felt power go out. And Jesus healed her in that moment. And she knew she was caught. And in that moment, she fell to her feet before Jesus and said, all right. What would she say to you if you're thinking of quitting? Or if you know someone who's thinking of quitting, giving up on this life, do you know what she'd say to you? Don't give up until you touch Jesus. Don't you let another day go by. There is always hope when Jesus is in the building. Then there's the, the story of the 38-year-old man. He was laying by the, the pool of, of uh, Bethesda, and he was, he was there. He'd been lame. He was 38 years old. He hadn't been able to walk his entire life. And what happens? It's the Sabbath. Jesus rolls in, and uh, he goes walking through, and he walks up to this guy on a, on, a, on a Saturday, on their Sabbath, and he says, you know what? Hey, guy who can't walk, get up. He says, get up, roll up your mat, and take a walk. And imagine being that guy. And the answer would be real simple. Jesus, you know I can't walk. I've been here my whole life. I'm laying here hoping to get into the water that the angel might heal me. Jesus, you know better. You know I can't walk. But you know what? That man believed the words of Jesus. And when he went to stand up, immediately his ankle strengthened. Immediately he was able to move. He was able to jump. You know what that man did? Jesus then told him to roll up the, his bedclothes, to roll up his mat, and to carry it out, which was a sin because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus told him to do it. And he's walking out. And the Pharisees stopped. And they said, what are you doing? He said, that man, the man who healed me, 
told me to carry it. You know what? When the man who heals you tells you to carry it, what do you do? You carry it, right? You obey him. Listen, that man would look you square in the eye if you're thinking of giving up today. And he would say, don't give up. When Jesus says something, something can happen. I'm telling you today, you might think that you're in that dark night. You might think that there is no hope. There is no future. There is nothing that God can do. And listen, I'm telling you, you hold on. These people would testify to you today and would say that when Jesus is in the house, you've got more than a fighting chance. You've got more than an opportunity to maybe overcome. But when Jesus is involved, something's going to happen. All three of them saw God move miraculously. And I'm telling you, not just from their experience, from my experience, I've seen God move. I've seen him do miracles. I've seen him do the impossible. And you might think it's too hard. I can't get enough money for Christmas. I can't live this life. Life is too hard. It's too difficult. And I'm telling you, don't give up today. Do you believe that? Listen, I feel like I'm preaching to a quiet room. I want to go back to the black church right now. I'm telling you, if I just preached like that there, they'd have been shut. I wouldn't have been the only one talking. I'm telling you, you've got to know that when Jesus is involved, it is not the end of the story. And you might say, listen, in my case, it's different. No, it isn't. Jesus involved in your story is all you need. He's everything that you need. He's the hope to keep going. And I'm telling you, he is the help that you're seeking. I'm going to ask Pastor Jimmy to come back up here. Today, you might be full of nothing but doubt. You might be full of fear. You might be full of discouragement. But I want to tell you that 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 old holy night, yeah, thank God that there's a beautiful song like that. But what's great about that song is not... The, the, the melody, it's not even the lyrics, but it's who it's about. It's about a God that looked down into history and saw you and saw me and saw our circumstances and knows the kind of dark night that you've been through. And he sees it. And today, I'm telling you, the greatest part of the story of, of Christmas is not Santa Claus. It's the hope that that baby Jesus brings to you and to me. That's what it's all about. Listen, today there's hope and you need to believe in a God who can bring hope to the weary, who can bring hope to your marriage, who can bring hope to those of you that are sick and feel like you'll never get rid of this disease. I'm telling you that when Jesus is in the room, there's always a chance. And with him, there's more than a chance. I bet it's going to happen. Listen, I want to pray for you today. Romans 13 verses 11 and 12 says the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You believe that? That your salvation is closer today. You're one day closer to it. You're one day closer to it, whether it's literal salvation or whether it's the salvation in whatever circumstance you're in. But I'm telling you, today's the day for salvation. He continues, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And I'm telling you, one more day today is one more day closer to God's answer to your prayer. And that's what I'm praying for for you today, that God would give you the hope to trust in him, that God would give you the help that you need and that you would realize that he is all that you need. Thank God that he gives us sometimes even what we want, not just what we need. But I'm telling you today that Jesus is all that you need today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you feel hopeless, you feel lost, you feel discouraged, you feel alone. I want you to know that you're not that there's a God who will never leave you. He'll never forsake you like Jeremiah who looked, at, looked at, at their situation being in captivity and it looking hopeless. Jeremiah looked at it, but then he remembered his God. And today, that's what you need to do is to, sure, you can see the circumstance, but you need to remember your God and know that he's able, know that he's mighty, know that Jesus is in the house. You need healing? Let's pray. Let's believe God for healing. You need a miracle financially? Let's pray. Let's trust in God to meet that need. You need relationships fixed or you need a a situation at work fixed? Let's pray. Our God is here to do those things. And I wonder today where you're at, I wonder if the, the healing you need is a relationship with him. If you're here today and you say, I need that, pray with me. My heart is broken. My heart is far from God. I need a fresh start with a God who loves me. Is that you? Is there anyone here today? 
Okay. Well, then how many are here today and say, you know what? I, I just need God's hope today. I need God's help with something. And I want to pray and seek him for that. Is there anyone today that says that's where I'm at? Anyone? To, yeah, anyone else? Probably most of us have something. Let's go to him now. God, you've seen our hands and God, you know our hearts. You know the circumstances that seem too great. The circumstances that feel like night is closing in and like it'll never get better. That, that God, the depression that sometimes overwhelms us. God, the, the losses that we've taken this year, the, the things in our life that have felt too hard to overcome. God, today we want to, like the prophet Jeremiah, we want to remember who you are and to remember that you're with us. Like Lazarus who was already gone. Jesus, you can revive a situation in our life. Jesus, you can make a way to bring healing to our body like you did for the woman who was bleeding and God for, for the man who would, couldn't walk. And God, we want to we wanna do as they did, God. We want to walk in obedience to you, God. I pray that today in those circumstances that seem too hard or seem impossible or beyond anything that we can do, that God, you would meet us today and that you would bring healing and you would bring hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Pastor Jimmy's going to lead us in this song today before we go. What a beautiful name it is. Thanks for joining us today for the High Point Church Podcast. If anything you've heard on this podcast has made an impact on your life, we would love to hear about it. You can email us at info at hpcphilly.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at hpcgiving.com and help us continue to bring messages to you and your community. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have an amazing week.